Are you ready for God's word? Yeah, I'm ready to. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four. Um, and we're in a series of messages that I call points of passion. And uh, we've been in this series really since the first of the year. And I'm, I personally love the series uh, because passion has kind of been my word for the year that I felt like God spoke to me about passion and being passionate. And what we've t- said all along is that we're all people of passion, but we also determine the direction of that passion. In other words, everyone in here, has you have passion and if someone hits a hot button or something like that, you're going to find your passion in a hurry. Um, but the challenge has always been to point our passion towards the things of God, to keep our passion in its place, essentially, to be passionate. We've talked about David. He said, the, the passion for your house has consumed me. And I just told you what I'm telling you and the reason I'm taking time in this series to say as as a church, the greatest thing, listen, the greatest thing we could do for our community is to be a people who are completely passionate about God. Because the community is looking to disqualify church, religion, or however you see it. And so they're looking for hypocrites and they're looking for people that act one way at church and live another way away from church. And they're looking for unpassionate believers. And, and, and I honestly think lukewarm Christians is a bad advertisement for an incredible God. I, I think, I, you know, honestly, I think lukewarm Christians just, just kind of going with the flow. And, and I just think it's a horrible advertisement for an incredible and gracious God. And that's why I think the greatest thing we can be as a church is say, okay, if we're really believers, let's be passionate about God, passionate about his house, passionate about, let's stir our own passions, let's aim them in the right direction, and and let's let our light so shine before men that they would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Amen? And so, uh, so we're in the book of Ephesians today. Um, so Ephesians, Ephesus. Ephesus, it was a city, obviously still is. Um, Paul was there on his second missionary journey and started the church that, that we know as the Ephesians, the Ephesian church. Um, and he actually visited there. In fact, he stayed there longest, I think, of any place he ever stayed on one of his missionary journeys or mission trips, if that's more helpful, if that vernacular is, is more palatable. Um, and so uh, uh, he stayed nearly three years, and then when he leaves, he actually sends Timothy to pastor the church there. He visits them on his third missionary trip. Um, and then when he is imprisoned in Rome for the first time under house arrest, so he's uh, basically arrested for preaching the gospel, they just wanted to shut him up, and so they just said, you had to stay in this house and can't come out. You're under house arrest. Uh, he actually, under house arrest, writes, that, that time, writes three, uh, three letters. In fact, every time they threw Paul in prison, he'd end up writing the gospel for us, you know, essentially. Uh, here's what I'm saying. Thank God they threw him in prison. <laughs> because they threw Paul in prison, we got a lot of the New Testament. Isn't it interesting how perspective shifts? There may be a time in your life you look back and say, thank God I went through that. So, um, <laughs> for what it's worth. And so Paul actually writes, um, uh, he, like, he writes Philemon, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians um, while in that first, and you can remember it, Pepsi, P-E-P-C, Philemon, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Just a trick if you're ever, ever doing a Bible trivia game. And someone's like, in his first imprisonment in Rome, Paul wrote, and you're like, Pepsi, Philemon, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You're welcome. Um, 
So he writes those four, four letters. And Ephesians is really cool because it's divided really in two parts, six chapters, two parts. The first part is really all about your position. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing. And he prays the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know the hope of our calling and the, and the richness of our inheritance in the saints and the great power that is working in and through us. And so it's about our position. And then the last three chapters are about the practice of a believer. So there's a position and there's a practice. My, my worry about the Western church is we get all excited about our position because from our position comes blessing, but we're supposed to do something with the position called living a life that's unto God, that's Christ-like, right? So there's, it's a, well, praise the Lord. And so anyways, um, <laughs> um, so that's what he's writing about. So we're in Ephesians 4, so he's talking about our practice, Ephesians 4, 11. It says, and he gave uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the shepherds, or some versions, pastors and teachers. So he's talking, who gave them? This is, these are Christ's gifts to the church. So Romans 12, most people believe, are, are motive gifts, are gifts that God gave us. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 are spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit gave us, right? Um, but Ephesians 4 are some gifts that Jesus gave specifically to the church, and those gifts are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Does everybody see that in the Bible? Yeah. And so how many know all of those things then, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors? Because here's the thing. Most people today, we're okay with two, maybe three of those. Like he's, he's a teacher. Oh, I'm good with that. He's a pastor. Yes, let's make everybody a pastor because that's more comfortable than he's an apostle. I don't like the term. Oh, my God, he's a prophet. He's weird. Run from him. <laughs> but I just want you to understand that healthy churches have these gifts in them, yeah. that this is in your Bible, right? And it's so interesting how we allow culture, in a way, to change what is okay and not okay in the Bible. That's another sermon, but it's a great one. And verse 12, so why did he give these five people? So here's all I'm saying. Our pastors, believe it or not, they're a gift to you. They're a gift to you. And, and, and so, and I know people, well, I, I was hurt by a pastor. Well, our pastors have been bitten by sheep. They're still a gift to you. Okay. <laughs> we, yeah, we don't, anyways, never mind. Uh, we don't put down sheep when they start biting. We, we nurse them back to health. Anyways, um, but, but what do these gifts do? They equip the saints. Everybody, who's a saint? Everybody say me. Me. See, if nothing else today, you came and I made you a saint. You can get in the car and look, honey, guess what? I'm a saint. And she's like, pick your underwear up then. Anyways, um, <laughs> so, so he equips the saints. Now, what do the saints do? The work of the ministry. Wait a minute, preacher, I thought that was your job. No, my job is to convince you it's your job. Yeah. So when people are like, oh, they're not getting ministered to, I'm going to look at you and say, what are you doing about it? Because that's my job is to convince you it's your job. Well, pastor, I think somebody ought to do something about, about the kids in the adoption. I think, pastor, somebody should do something about home. I think somebody should do something about unwed mother. And I'm going to look at you and say, amen, I do too. God bless you. Let me know how it goes. Let me pray for you send you out because you're a saint. See, now you're like, I don't be a saint. I don't be a saint because saints got to do stuff. I'm out on this. Anyway, saints do the work of the ministry 
What does that do? It builds up the body of Christ. Pastor, the, the body's not strong. Maybe it's not the pastor. Maybe it's the saints. You're not ready for me today. I had a vitamin this morning. Yeah. And some apple cider vinegar. And so, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Don't mess with me. For the building of the body of Christ until we all attain. What happens? Well, then we have unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And then we grow to be a mature man. And what's the aim? To the measure and standard of the stature of Christ so that we would no longer be children. Can I just say something? If you're in church long enough and you can say amen to this, not all the children are in children's ministry today. I said you're not ready for me. You're not ready. You may never come back again. But we'll make this one good. So no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by every human cunning. Pastor, I'm just more spiritual than I am religious. Okay. By craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we're going to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a lot in that text. There's a whole lot. I'm just going to take a few parts of it and try to work this together. Um, I called this message no longer tossed. That you would no longer be children tossed. No longer tossed. No longer tossed. Let me pray for us. Um, Holy Spirit, um, we pray you would come and, and really anoint our ears to hear. Help us to hear your words of truth. And more than hear them, show us what we must apply from what we hear. In other words, Holy Spirit, we're here to have a life-transforming encounter with you by your truth. And the way that happens is not the truth you hear. It's the truth you do. Help us to hear your truth and to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Three things. Let me jump to my points because I already took too much time. Three things that I want you to write down as we talk. So Paul is talking about no, no longer be children tossed to and fro. No longer be children. So there is a correlation here that, that I want to spend some time on. And in the Bible, the Bible talks about levels of maturity. Believe it or not, Paul talks about babes in Christ, and then there are children, and then there are young men, right? And then there are mature men. There's actually a stage of spiritual growth. And believe it or not, it is God's intent and Paul's assumption uh, that believers would actually engage in a process of growing in maturity. And, and I want to talk about that, so let's, let's jump in that together. The first thing is, um, the more we grow, the more we gain. So here's why I want to talk. So I don't know, Pastor, this whole growing spiritual thing, uh, you know, I th I, I'm, I'm saved. I've, I've said the prayer. I'm even in church today. I could be sleeping in. I could be watching live stream, but I actually made it today. And so that should be good enough. But I want to start here when we talk about maturing in faith or growing spiritually. I really want to start by answering the question. Now, why would I want to do that? Because I, I don't know about you. I'm a why person. Uh, when I turn, you know, about one and a half and learn the word why, 
night, it was the greatest word that I had ever learned in my life. And uh, to the point that I think I was put in time out and asked never to speak again. Um, <laughs> Because everything's why, 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 right? And maybe you've had one of those experiences. But to this day, uh, a lot of the growth, a lot of the things that I do, uh, even some of the things that probably you benefit from if you're a part of this church, come because I ask the question why. And so when we're talking about spiritual growth, I, I think it's a fair question to say, okay, why do I need to grow spiritually? Like I thought the whole thing was Christians are people who believe in God so that when he comes back, we get to go to heaven and not to hell. And what I would say to you is, while that is the most simplistic idea that the gospel could represent, um, it is not the aim of the gospel's intent. Right. It's simplistic and it works. If all you want to do is put faith in Jesus and sit down and, and wait for the greyhound to heaven, I'm sure that'll work. Right. If you maintain your faith in Christ and and really and really believe him. Um, but th what's all throughout the gospel is if I really put my faith in Christ, then stuff starts happening. Stuff starts changing. I, I start doing some things differently. And, and I would almost beg the question that I, I don't think there's any way. Here, here's, let me just ask you. So at salvation, let's talk about this, and I'll get to the points in a minute. At salvation, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. I don't know how it would be possible to put God inside of you and nothing about you change. So I can just leave that right there, and you go work that out. Because if you're like, well, nothing ever changed... So the more we grow, <laughs> the more we gain. Here's what Paul says, no longer children tossed to and fro. So here's the first thing he tells us. The reason you want to grow is maturity is equal to stability. Mature. Have you ever met those people that are like controlled by their emotions and they're in a new place every day? Isn't that exhausting? Like they're up, they're down. He's the greatest. He's the worst. Right. Like you meet them, they start heading to the water cooler and you're like, I don't care if I am thirsty. Like, you know, they walk in the restroom and you may not even gone to the restroom, but you just leave like, I'll just hold it for another hour because I'm not being trapped in a room with this person because they are completely tossed by everything that goes on. They're here, they're there, they're up, they're down. This person said that, but then the pastor posted this, but then their friend said this, and then he did that, and then, and then this guy swiped right on Tinder, and now this is that, and then, oh, but then Instagram, and they're just, whoosh. and you just want to like, Grab them because it's like flubber. They are bouncing off everything, right? And Paul's like, hey, the first thing about maturity is it's equal to stability. Um, and he gives this type of analogy of actually a boat tossed in storms that when there's not stability, you're like a boat that's totally given way to the wind. And now you're being driven by something that you're not in control of. And it's taking you to a place that you may not even want to go. And he's like, so the first, the first great thing, if you will, about the reason you want to grow in maturity is to find some stability in your life because life is going to have wind and storms. He said all these wind and waves of doctrine as a pastor. I hear new doctrines every day. It's amazing to me how many people will buy a book about some crazy new doctrine and will not read the Bible from which all doctrine is, is, is derived from. 
the Bible will interpret the Bible and the Bible is true. So I don't care what the person's conjecture was on the scripture. What is the context of God's word? Well, I've been reading up on how all the stars prophesied to us. I've been reading up on the book of Revelation. How about Ephesians 4? And then, and then part of what he says is, is he talks about evil schemes. So he's implying two things, that there's some people with crazy doctrine, and, and then there's also an enemy of your soul who will scheme and even work through people to confuse you and to blow you off course. And so he is talking about all these things that in life, storms happen, winds happen, and sometimes they're people, and sometimes it's the devil, and, and sometimes it's circumstance. And the reason you want to mature is so in the maturing of your faith comes, comes stability. This is what James said, but, but let him ask in faith, not doubting. And so, so this is James uh, 1.6. Let him ask in faith, not doubting. So now we're getting two, two different things, right? So faith on one side, doubting on the other. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So what is doubt? Doubt is immature faith. It is. Because here's, you know, people say, well, you got to grow in faith. And, and let me help you with something. I've got to have more faith. I've got to have more faith. I really can't find a case for that in the Bible, that we, that we grow in faith that way. Right? I can find every man is given a measure of faith. And, but a lot of people say, well, if I had more faith, God would do this. And now you've made faith a law. And you're no longer under grace. Now you're trying to do the work of faith instead of letting faith work. This is a great message. You should have written that down. All right. And so, so I don't like making faith a work because then God's grace is by your faith. But the truth is everything we have comes by God's grace, but we trust it. So faith is about belief and trust. So the maturing of faith is about more, more how much I rely and trust in the faith that I have. It is not about getting more faith. Are, are, you, are you understanding? So as I mature and trust in faith. So, so for instance, when, when you're a, when you're, first of all, when you're a baby Christian, you don't know. And what I mean by that, because you've been in a life group with a baby Christian, God has this grace for babies like you have grace for babies. And, and they just get everything handed to them. And you, you know, you've been with Jesus 30 years and been laid off and just trying to make it work for the last three years or something like that. And this baby Christian comes in is like, I wasn't even looking for a job and I got four promotions this week. <laughs> and right there, see, that's a test of your maturity. Because you're like, the maturity is the fruits of the spirit. You're like, that brother squeezing my fruit because I'm about to, <laughs> I about lost all my patience and my long suffering is gone, Jesus. Um, but, but as we mature, then as we mature in our faith, we learn to trust God more and more when we see less and less. And sometimes God will show us less, so we have to trust him more because God is trying to mature our faith. This is a great message, by the way. If you've never heard good preaching, let me help you. This is it, all right? And so, and so this is how God matures us. In our, so maturing of faith is about being able to trust God more and more in different circumstances and different situations. And so doubt comes, and, and doubt is immature faith when I don't trust God, when I'm not able to trust God, when I start doubting what God has said because 
because of what I see, because of what I hear, because of what I'm going through. Now doubt is making me be tossed around. And that's why James said, it's, it, look, he said, don't let you think you'll receive from God. He didn't say that the grace of God didn't apply. He said, in doubt, we're removing ourselves from the benefits of the grace of God that come through faith. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? And so this maturation of faith gives us stability. That's why Paul told the Colossians, he talks to them about the stead, this is old King James or new King James, really new King James, the steadfastness of their faith. Some versions would say the firmness or the strength of their faith. But what he's talking about, you think, I like the word steadfastness, unmovable. In fact, that's what he tells them, that the steadfastness of your faith in Christ, he said, continue in that faith, grounded and steadfast, unshakable or unmovable. So he's saying the more steadfast, the more firm, the more I'm mature in my trusting. Now, here's the problem. We don't want to trust God for anything. I, can we just be honest? I, I'm going to tell you the truth. Where we're at with the building, I hate it. I was eating lunch today, uh, this week with a businessman, and he's visited our church and and a uh, great guy in our community. And, and so we were having lunch and, and uh, he was saying, man, this is just amazing what your guys doing. I said, yeah, God's, I mean, God's already provided like $4 million cash. You know, we still got $5 million or so to go. And he's like, it's great. He said, how do you feel about it? I said, I hate it. I'm hating every minute of it. <laughs> and he said, why? I said, because do you know how much easier it'd be to just have a $5 million check? than this month say, well, we're going to believe God. Well, we're $45,000 short. Well, we're going to believe God some more. And to sit in construction meeting and try to figure out how to go forward when you don't even know what's going to come in. But the way the process, I'm like, there are easier things to do in life. <laughs> right? And you got subcontractors like, we're ordering materials, we're ready to go to work. And you're like, uh-huh. <laughs> right? And so I told him, I said, it is all by faith. And I said, I don't like it. But I see the value in it. Yeah. See, here's the maturity. I will embrace it because I know what's on the other side. The maturing of your faith, right? The, the testing of your faith produces perseverance, right? And, have, and let perseverance have its work, right? Or some versions say patience, because when perseverance has its work, you reach a new level of maturity. And I said, so I will embrace the struggle and the thing that I don't like at all. I will be hard pressed, but not crushed. Are you with me? Like Paul said, I will embrace it because I'm mature enough to know what's on the other side. Now, five years ago, I'd have been on my face in a heap saying, Jesus, you've left me. You don't love me anymore. You must hate my guts. I don't know where. Why are you looking at me like you've never done that? Shut up. Shut the front door. I know exactly how you pray when stuff goes south. Think about Daniel. Daniel, what did Daniel do wrong? Daniel prayed, and, and what did he get for it? Thrown in a lion's den? Right? Now, some of us would have gone into that lion's den crying and sobbing, writing our last will and testament. It's been good to know everybody. But I'm now dinned in for the lion. Daniel marched in there like, oh, king, do whatever you got to do. My God's able to save me. And on the outside, he comes out of the lion's den. Look what's happened. Look what's happened. Now the king is writing a decree that the whole nation should tremble and fear at the God of Daniel. 
Because most of the time, maturity is about perspective. Yes, amen. Right? Maturity is about perspective. When you're a two-year-old, you, you have a perspective, and it's the toy. And somebody takes the toy because it's time to go. And you think it's the apocalypse, and the end of the world has come because you're two. And you don't have a big enough perspective to see. Sometimes you have to stop playing to do things that are necessary. Right? Are you with? I feel like this is just trying to help you. And so, so, so most of the time, maturity is about. It's not that God went anywhere. God's trying to get you to see differently. He's trying to get you to trust more. He's trying to get you to rely more on Him and put faith and trust and confidence more in Him. Because God, listen to me. I'm going to tell you something. God is more committed to your spiritual growth than you are. He is. He's more committed to your spiritual growth than you are. And so, so sometimes like when we're, when we're babes, everything goes right. The first time it doesn't go right, then it's like, oh God, you don't love me. You left me. And God's like, no, 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 no. I just had to put the toy aside because I need to work on something else. Are you with me? Here's the second thing about maturity. And this is, this is B under point one. So maturity equals stability, but maturity also equals destiny. Look at this, Galatians 4.1. So this is what Paul says. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, look at the correlation. He's an heir, but a child, so he doesn't differ from a slave. Though he's master of all, but he's under gardens and stewards until the appointed time of the father. Now he's talking about law and grace. And he's talking about, honestly, can I just be honest? This is why some people cling to law because it's immature. Because rule following is always easier than relationship. There's a greater responsibility under, relation, under the relationship of grace of having to hear the voice of God and follow the voice of God, right, than, than being under, under the law. And so people like to cling to the law. And some people like to cling to the law to discredit the law because they're under grace. So they want the benefit of grace being over there, but we want to live under a law that doesn't matter anymore. Um, there's so much I could say right there, but... Because I'll have people that, that and, and here's a good analogy that will hit everybody's heart, and you can disqualify me as a pastor because I'm going to talk about money, and you can turn me off, and he's horrible, and that's fine. You can never mature. Here's, here's the thing. Because people will say, well, tithing's under law. I'm not going to tithe. It wasn't under the law. It was thousands of years before the law. Tithing was given under the first grace covenant, which was righteousness by faith, which was Abraham. That's where tithing was given. Abraham's tithe was in response to the grace of God. But if you're one of those that want to pick when I'm under law and when I'm under grace, well, giving I'm under grace, so then I don't have to tithe, then you understand under, under, under tithing, under, tithe, under grace, the Bible says, and they came and laid everything they had at the feet of the apostles. Yep. Yeah. Grace requires more, not less. Yeah. Under the law, don't commit adultery. Under, under grace, if you look at someone with lust, it's the same as committing adultery. Under the law, don't murder. Under, under, under grace, don't even call someone a fool. So grace is about growing us up anyways because it removes the standard of the law and causes us to focus on a relationship with Christ where Christ is formed in us. So I just feel like I'm armed today. I'm just, this was not this good when I wrote it. Anyways, um, and so Paul is putting this correlation that under the law, under this immaturity of the law, you're heir to everything, but you get nothing. And so what he's saying is, if you want to pursue your purpose and calling it what God created you for, listen, it requires maturity to step in destiny. Let me help you with this. I don't think you would be here today if, you, if, if I was preaching my first sermon. 
because it was horrible. And you'd have walked out and said, that boy confused. He needs to go get a job somewhere. He needs to stop preaching. Like, this is horrible, right? Why? Because there's a maturity that's required to, to get you to your destiny. And the more I mature, the more I'm qualified for my destiny. Are you with? All right, I got to go on. Second point. Uh, growing up means growing out. Anybody growing out nowadays? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Um, but growing up means, means growing out. Look at what he said, uh, Ephesians 4.13, to a mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. So I just want to point out here that he makes the image of Christ, the measure that Christ becomes the measuring stick, not your neighbor. Because I think sometimes in Christian comparisons, a hor horrible thing. Paul said, comparing yourselves among yourselves, you are not wise. That's what Paul said. And we use this thing called comparison. So we compare our Instagram to their Instagram. And so then we feel like God doesn't love us because they're, they're on vacation and we're not on vacation. But also sometimes we'll compare where, where we think someone else is spiritually to where we're at. And then we, we can pump the brakes a little bit. Well, I'm, doing, I'm in like two life groups. They're not even in a life group. And, and I think what it is is that sometimes we're confused about what spiritual growth is. So the goal is that we would grow to the standard or the measure of Christ. But what's that talking about? Because was he like five foot eight or six foot two? That's not what it's talking about. And, and so what we then do is because we are more performance-based, law-based people. So what we start is we equate spiritual growth to making better choices. Now, I do think spiritual growth will cause you to make better choices. I'm all for making better choices. No one wants to live with regrets, right? Like the guy that got the tattoo, no regrets. You know, no one wants to live with, with regrets. Um, and so, but, but hear me, spiritual maturity is not about making better choices externally that look like I'm growing internally. Spiritual maturity is about having Christ formed in me internally, and it causes me to choose better externally. So the goal is about internal, this formation. In fact, Paul actually says this to the Galatians, uh, Galatians 4.19. And so the Galatians had received this grace of Jesus, and then they'd gone back to the performance of the law. And so Paul's having a great conversation with them. But in verse 19 of chapter 4, he says, My little children, notice he says children, Right? For whom I am again in anguish of childbirth. He's like, I'm trying to give birth to you again. Like, y'all have got to get out of the womb, people. That's what he's saying. And then look at what he says. He, said, he says this. Um, where did that go? Yeah, there it is. My little children, for whom I'm again in anguish of childbirth. <laughs> Dummy, it's on the screen. Just read it right there. My little children, I've got these huge screens. I'm staring at an iPad. Um, my little children, for whom I'm again in anguish of childbirth. Look at this. Until Christ is formed in you. What's the He's talking about your children, why Christ isn't formed in you yet. Your children, why Christ isn't formed in you yet. And so what's the goal? I want Christ to be formed in us. That's why Peter says, so what is Christ being formed in us? It's the nature and the character of Christ being formed in us. That's why Peter said, you, you've, been, you've been made partakers of a divine nature, right? Paul said it this way also in, in Ephesians. He says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Very important. Learn the truth that comes from him. Not, not, not some book. The truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature and the former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. 
Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature created to be like God. So here's the picture is take off a dirty coat, put on a clean coat. Now, how do I take the dirty coat off and put on the clean coat? Well, he just said it. He said, I have to let the Spirit renew my thoughts and attitudes. So part of Christ being formed in me is a change of thought or change of thinking and a change of attitude. Right? Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Right? This is Paul to the Philippians. So um, Paul to the Romans, we're renewed, you know, or transformed by the renewing of our mind. So part of this then is a process. I'm going to use a word that will make sense to you when I explain it, but it's a process of repentance. Repentance doesn't mean to stop sinning. It means to change the way you think. So repentance is actually an ongoing work of maturation in your life because the more I let Christ be formed into me, his attitudes, his thoughts, his ideas, his loving those who hate me, loving those who use me, forgiving those, right? His love and his joy and his peace, right? The more I let him be formed in me, the more I'm growing. This is why God will actually use, you know, we're in a fallen world. People are going to hurt you. Things are going to happen, but God's going to use all that to see if you're going to harbor unforgiveness and be bitter, or if you're going to let Christ be formed in you through love, humility, and forgiveness, right? That's why God let you get married so he could form Christ in you. That's a different seminar, right? So, so maturity actually now means embracing reality at all costs. Now, that sounds simple, but a lot of times we don't like to embrace reality because we'll be in a situation and we'll see an ugly part of ourselves and it's just easier to blame it on them. Yep. When they cut you off, what comes out of you isn't them. It was in you. Well, they cut me off. No, that doesn't matter. Turn the other cheek. That's letting Christ be formed in you. Right? I I think I've said this before. I had somebody say, well, I've turned the other cheek and they slapped it too. What do I do? I said, turn around. You got two more cheeks. (laughs) Because it's about letting Christ, it's about letting Christ be formed in you. And when people do things to us, listen, people may do things to us, but what comes out of us was in us, not in them. And sometimes God will let people do stuff to you to see what will come out of you so that you know Christ's not formed in me yet. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, are, are you with me? Look, look at this. So, so it's embra- maturity is embracing reality at all costs. Well, how do I do that? Truth is, rea- truth is reality. Truth is reality. So, so maturity is about, so that's why like today we're doing life groups. That's why you have a life group because you need some people around you who can speak the truth in love. People that, here, here's who can speak truth to you. People that you know love you. If they speak truth to you, you should listen. Because God gives us people because ugly parts of our lives come out and we want to bury it back or we want to cover it up. And you need some people saying, hey, man, you know, I saw that post. They didn't, they didn't look like you. That didn't seem like it was, you know, hey, I'm hearing you talk and you're saying these things. And I just want to point out that that's not Christ-like at all. <laughs> Like, I know you feel better, but that's not Christ-like. Like, I've had to have those conversations with people who say, hey, I know you, and what happened right there, that's not you. And I've had other people pull me aside and say, people that I trust, that I know love me, pull me aside and say, Pastor, you know, you said this right here, but I just want to ask you about that. And I say, you know, you're right. I, I don't I know where Christ-like was. It was more, it was more flesh. 
That made me feel better, but it didn't, it wasn't mature. Are, are you with me? And, and so it's about, it's about embracing truth. Look at this, John 3.20. For everyone who does wicked, hates, uh, wicked things hates the light. So we're going to talk about truth. So truth is light. Notice it said everyone who does wicked, you could say evil or bad. All right. So everyone who does bad things hates the light and doesn't come to the light. Why? Because they don't want their works to be exposed. In other words, he's, he's saying that, that it is human nature to hide in darkness to keep the ugly parts, from, uh, ugly parts of us from being seen. It is human nature to stay away from truth because you know that truth could expose something you don't want to deal with. That's what he's saying. But verse 21, but whoever does what is true, time out. Notice he said true and not good. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Look at this. So maturity is all about embracing reality. Reality is truth. Not, by the way, not relative truth, not your truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. Okay. Because well, I'm just living my truth. I don't care what you call it. Don't call it truth because you're not the authority. You're not the author. You don't get to pick what is truth. You get to decide whether you're going to go to truth or stay away from truth, but you don't get to decide what is truth. And you're like, why not? Let me help you. Because you're not God. When you become God, we'll let you define what's true. Until then, keep your book to yourself. All right. So, um, and so look what he says, though. He says, look, if it's human nature, then that, that I don't want the bad parts. I don't want to deal with some things. So I'll stay in dark. I'll stay away from life group or I'll stay away from worship or I won't build close relationships. or I won't do because, because I, I know there's some stuff in here and I don't want to deal with that stuff. But here's what he said. But those who want to mature embrace reality, which is they embrace truth. And notice this. He said there's doing bad and there's doing true. It should be bad and good. But we're back to the knowledge of good and evil. And you can do good to cover up bad. But truth fixes bad. Are you with me? And so he's saying maturation isn't about doing good. You can Listen, I went to church with some people, and we went to church at least three times a week, and they were the meanest, most immature people I'd ever been around. But they were in church. They were doing good. And they were trying to cover up their bad with good when God wants us to do truth. Are you, are you with me? And let me give you the last, last point here. Last point. Uh, we cannot grow alone. We cannot grow alone. So the more we grow, the more we gain. And growing up means growing out. And we cannot grow alone. Look what Ephesians 4.15. We read it, but he said, rather speaking the truth in love, right? I'm assuming here he's not talking about talking to yourself. So he's implying there's somebody else, right? Now I'm okay if you talk to yourself. I talk to myself sometimes. I do. Does that bother you? You talk to yourself too. Um, it's when you argue with yourself that you got a problem. But I guess it's good or bad because you're going to win and lose every time. And so, <laughs> but he said, rather speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From whom the whole body, so that can't just be one person. This is now talking about the body of Christ. Joined and held together by every joint. Um, that's talking about joints of the, of the like, we're 
bones come together, because if you're from Colorado, that's not what holds it together. Every joint from which is a terrible joke, and you just now got it. Some people are like, I still don't get a joint, joint. Bless you and your innocence. But anyways, held together by what every joint where two bones come together, that's a joint. With which it is equipped. Some of you are like, I don't like his joke, Seth. I'll get your purse. Um, with which it is equipped. Look at this. When each part is working properly. Notice that. Working properly makes the whole body grow and it builds itself up in love. So what's Paul saying? He said, I need all the points, all the parts to be joined together and working properly for the church to work, for the body to be built up. So there's two, two steps here. I've got, to, I've got to be joined together and working properly. Working properly means I have to be joined together and maturing. Right? And so, so, so he's now talking about spiritual maturity and he's talking about a process of it and some outcomes from it. And so because we're on short on time, let me just give you a couple of things. Number one, what he's implying here is that spiritual maturity is never accidental. Yes. Spiritual maturity is intentional. Yes. So I'm going to ask you a question and it's just for you to think. Right now, what's your plan to mature yourself spiritually. Because it's not accidental. You, you, don't, you don't get mature by... How many... Um, I've been on, around men, because I am a man. I've been around some great mature men. been around some less than mature. But I've been around some men before and been in conversations with guys that, that my age or even older and had the thought... You never grew up, did you? You're still talking like an 18-year-old. Like, you may be 47, you know, you may be 54, but you never grew up. Christ was never formed in you. You never, you never did truth. I, there was a gentleman come to our church. I, he, I went to play golf with him and listened to him. And one of the things he said just over and over, and Pastor, I love the church because I love the way you bring the word. He said, well, I love the way you bring the word. And I thought, well, I appreciate that. That's nice. And he said, man, I, I love to sit and hear you preach the word. I love, and they just over and over and over. <clears throat> the more I got to know that man, I realized he may listen to me, but he doesn't do anything I say. <laughs> he is the greatest hearer of the word I have ever seen. But James said, listen, James said it's not just hearing the word, it's doing the word. Truth has no power until you do it. You can know as much truth as you want to know, but it will not transform and change you until you do it. Right? And that's why James says when you just hear the word, but you don't ever do it, you deceive yourself into thinking you're growing up. But truthfully, you're a 50 something year old man that still acts like a teenager. Because you look good, you look at you, you're there at church, you're in a live group, but you didn't let Christ be formed in you. And so, so Paul's now saying spiritual maturity is an intentional process. You don't accidentally grow spiritually. You don't accidentally do it. So my question is, so what's your plan? And if you're like, I don't have a plan, thank God I'm here. I have a plan for you. <laughs> in fact, I have a plan for everybody that's not even here yet. Because for us, we have these four B's. 
Believe, belong, become, and build. If you're sitting here like, man, I don't know. How, how could I mature? Believe, belong, become, and build. What would God's plan for me be? Believe in Jesus, belong to a family, become a disciple, and build God's kingdom. How would I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you four Ps. They all correlate to believe, belong, come, and build. I'm going to put them out of order because this group's launch, and I'm sneaky like that. But, but let me tell you about spiritual growth. Number one is um, if you want to grow spiritually, you have to be planted. Psalm, Psalm, 19, Psalm 19, verse 2, those who are planted. Um, no, I'm sorry, Psalm 93, verse 13. Psalm 93, 13, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. Not those who pass through, not those who attend occasionally, those who are planted. Planted implies putting some roots down. You know, planted in, implies that I'm making this, this going to be my church. If it's supposed to be your church, is it your church? You put roots down, right? Planted means grow. Planted may mean, you know, um, Plant, planted uh, may mean building some relationships, right? But, but I'm going to make the decision to be planted in a place so I can flourish, right? So planted, by the way, that would be believe in Jesus, right? And so we have weekend experiences so you can believe in Jesus and continue to believe in Jesus. Like John said, wrote these things that you might continue to believe in Jesus. Um, and so, so that's why we have weekend services so you can be planted. Planted, Right? What, what happens when you have a really pretty flower and, and you uproot it and you just kind of throw it out there on the yard? It dies, right? And, and it's no longer, it wilts, it's no longer pretty, it doesn't flourish. And, and what the psalm, David's, David's telling us, the psalmist is saying, if you want to flourish, you have to be planted. Where do I have to be planted? In the house of God. Right? So, so, so planted, here's the second thing, a process. We would call this next steps. Right. In other words, I have to have an intentional process if I'm going to grow. You're not going to accidentally grow. So what's your process? So we have some next steps like bring a friend, read your Bible, pray daily. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, give and people are like giving's not about maturity. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. It's all about maturity. You know, and people people like, well, tithing is for the spiritual mature, not according to Jesus. Because Jesus said you, you ought to have tithed. He, the Pharisees are trying to make it that we're so mature because we're tithing. And basically, if you read the context, and, and you had to read it in the Greek, but you can read it in the good Bible and it will make sense. But they come to Jesus and they are boasting of their spiritual maturity, how they tithe all the way down to their spice rack. They're tithing on their basil. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Jesus said, what's the big deal? You have a Lord, you should tithe. Here's what Jesus is saying. Tithing is where you start. Like, you're a tither. Congratulations, according to, Ma to Malachi, you're one level above a robber. <laughs> it's in your Bible. Malachi said, you robbed me. I robbed you. You didn't tithe. Like, I'm tithing. I'm mature. It's a part of the maturity. Absolutely. It's a, it's a part of it. But tithing gets you to one, one rung on the ladder above being a thief. All right. That went over about like I thought. Anyways, there's a process. There's a process of next steps. 
That we have, that's why I say, are you going on outreach? Are you in a life group? Or, are, you, are you bringing someone with you? There's a process of next steps. And so, so there's planted and a process. Then there's finding your purpose. That's what first step is all about. That's why we have a serve team so you can find your purpose. And then there's this people, which we call groups. According to Ephesians 4, we just read it. But it's like speaking the truth in love, that's more than one person, Right? from whom the whole body, more than one person, joined together, more than one person, is equipped by every joint supplying something, more than one, each part working properly, more than one person, makes the body grow, more than one person, builds itself up, it's plural, makes, it's talking about more than one person. The number one way that we grow according to scripture is through relationships or through relationships with people. People cause the nature and the character of God to be formed in us as we love, as we serve each other, we pray for one another, we teach each other, we share each other, we forgive each other, we show grace to each other. People is the number one way that we grow. It's interesting that a boat in the storm, they, they really had, in, in the days of Jesus, they really had one, one thing that they could do in a storm to stabilize the boat. And it was the oars. Because the boat has small sail in a storm. You don't want a small sail to blow the boat over. It had a rudder, which was an oar kind of out the, the back right side. But then those boats had either four or six oars. Look at Mark 6, 48. And it says, Jesus walking on the water, he saw the disciples and they were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. How many were straining at the oars? As many as it took. The best way to endure and become stable in storms is you need some people in your boat with you. When you're in a storm, you need some people grabbing some oars with you. Like this was the primary way of boats in that day when they're talking about being tossed and they're talking about being stable. The, the number one thing that boats used and really the only, the, the only thing they had to, to protect against being tossed to them was, was the oars. And it was always more than one. It's either four or six. And so here's what he's saying is that you need people in your boat if you're gonna be stable and strong and if you're gonna endure through storms and if you're not gonna be tossed. If you don't wanna be tossed anymore, no longer tossed, there's a maturation process and the number one way to mature is with people. And when I hear people say, you know, I tried a group one time, I just didn't like it at another church or whatever the case may be, and I just don't have time for that. I'm like, how do you not have time to get stable? How do you not have time to mature spiritually? How do you not have a value in knowing in this life there's gonna be wind and there's gonna be storms and you need some people to man the oars with you and you just, hey, that's sometimes what excuses sound to me like. Excusing the body of Christ sometimes just sound to me like, And what I'm saying is, 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 listen to me, what I'm saying is, is that according to Paul, he doesn't want us to be children who are tossed. He wants you to be no longer tossed. And the key component to that maturity is having people. You need people in your boat manning the oars with you paddling with you, doing life with you. Life happens together. Life happens in a group. People make you better. People help you mature. People help you grow.
people help you from being tossed. And if you don't want to be tossed anymore, you need people. So today's Life Group's launch. Here's what I'd say. Go find you some rowing buddies. Go find you some rowing buddies and be no longer tossed. Amen. Can you give God praise for his word? Yeah, why don't you stand with me?